0: Welcome to Festival Nation on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Here's your host, Marla Davies.
1: Welcome to Festival Nation, the podcast where we celebrate the magical world of music festivals. Let there be songs to fill the air. Festival Nation here on the Pantheon Podcast Network is featuring a special mini-series on Skull and Roses, the festival. And we're dedicating a series of shows featuring the musicians that will play there. Skull and Roses is a multi-day festival celebrating the music and the community of the Grateful Dead. Skull and Roses returns April 2nd through the 5th for its fourth anniversary at the legendary Ventura County Fairgrounds on the Central California coast. And I'm going to be giving away a pair of passes. Just reach out to me on Twitter at Nation Festival, Facebook and Instagram at Festival Nation Podcast, Or you can shoot me an email at FestivalNationPodcast.com. And let me know why you like the podcast and who you're most psyched to see at Skull and Roses. I'm Marla Davies. Today we're here with Steve Parrish, longtime Grateful Dead roadie, host of the Big Steve Hour and leader of the band Big Steve Parrish and the new new Ass Bites from Hell, who will be playing at the upcoming Skull and Roses Festival celebrating the music and community of the dead. Steve Parrish joined the Grateful Dead over 50 years ago. He joined the band as a roadie in 1969 and fell in love with a band of like-minded misfits and he and his band of brothers became the greatest road crew in rock and roll history. Steve was Jerry Garcia's gear handler and later manager for the Jerry Garcia band. Garcia and Parrish were an unbroken chain. Steve was Jerry's best man at his wedding and he was at Jerry's bedside when he fell into a coma in 1986. He was one of the last friends to see Jerry before he passed in 1995. Coming up, Steve talks about the Skull and Roses Festival and why he never grew up.
2: I think I stayed a teenager forever. I I know that when I started working for The Grateful Dead, I was just uh, 18 and, you know, learning everything, hanging around. By the time I got some pay, I was 19. And then I realized that I'm going to stay about this age because it's so great. You know, I'm having so much fun.
1: The power of psychedelics. His love of cannabis.
2: Well, that's the funny part about it. We always said, you know, when we smoked so much uh, cannabis and we would always say, man, we had to hide it from our parents. Now we're hiding it
1: from our kids. You know, what's (laughs) this about? And life on the road with the Grateful Dead. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I mean, I'm a fan. What can I say?
2: (laughs) Oh, good. My radio show blows me away that I never thought I'd, I'd have that beautiful thing with connection to the audience. So... You know what that's like. It's so much fun.
1: It is such a fun show. I listen to it all the time, and I'm. it's hilarious because I have my 16-year-old, when I'm picking him up from school or whatnot, I'm like, he's like, he knows who you are. He's like, is that big, Steve? And so he's going to die when he so finds awesome. out. I talked to you today. But he was. we were laughing because he goes, Mom, <laughs> that guy is such a hippie. <laughs> I don't know. I know. No, I
2: don't- mouths of babe come a real uh knowledge of the world because i hear this from a lot of kids they seem to like it uh so that's great that makes me feel good
1: well i mean yeah. you talk about the stuff they want to talk about basically sex drugs and rock and roll duh <laughs>
2: <laughs> i think i stayed a teenager forever i i know that when i started working for the grateful dead i was just uh 18 and you know learning everything hanging around by the time i got to pay. I was nineteen, and then I realized that I'm going to stay about this age because it's so great, you know, I'm mean, such so much fun.
1: You know, that's so funny because my kid always wants to go. You know, when you know he was, of course, wasn't born when Jerry when Jerry was around and all. But so when Dead and Company and you know the other you know incarnations of the band would come around, he's like, "Hey, mom, you think I could go with you?" I was like, "No, sorry, I'm like no, right. because I got to be a kid. I got to be nineteen, right? That's my thing." I don't
2: want to be mom. Well, that's the funny part about it. We always said, you know, when we smoked so much uh, cannabis, and we would always say, man, we had to hide it from our parents. Now we're hiding it from our kids. You know, what is this about? <laughs> it was really funny because our kids who would grow up in the Grateful Dead scene, they'd smelled it their whole lives, you know. Right. And so when I one time had a talk with my son, I was telling him, you know, uh, you know that's can- that's marijuana I smoke. he was shocked he went what what any idea he just thought it was just normal that everybody did that and I was so sorry I even brought it
1: up. right I know because somebody was we were just having this discussion about magic mushrooms some kid has them at school you know selling them or whatnot in oh, my high yeah. school right and so yeah. I'm telling my kid well if you're gonna do them do them with me right and my husband's yeah. like what yeah. kind of parent are you <laughs> like, that's the best way to be
2: if, it, if they're going to do what they want. You know, my son came to me when he was in college in San Francisco, and he said the same thing, you know, and I said, well, you know, just be careful. And I explained to him a few things, but he's a doctor now. And oh, he's really? Like his whole life, you know, he's a doctor in L.A. and uh, does really well, and, and, you know, it's just something that's always, I always tell people, you know, they make fun of cannabis and, uh marijuana products, and we used them in the Grateful Dead when I started going on the road. We had long hair, we smoked pot everywhere, you know, it was like not acceptable, but nonetheless, we proved them wrong on every point. In other words, like, you know, they would say, oh, it makes you lazy, you don't want to work." Right, right. I defy them to build a wall of sound like we did from every piece of it built with our own two hands, and only four or five of us putting it up all the time, a monumental task every day. And you, and, you were know,
1: pretty stoned. You were, I mean, you were a roadie for the dead. You had to be stoned to do that kind of job. Well, we were
2: totally stoked. I mean, you know, I Not realized. Not stoked,
1: stoned. Uh, well, I was totally stoked and stoned. Okay. But, but the thing
2: was that, you know, we, were, we loved it because the thing is that we got to do what we wanted to, but if you couldn't do your job, you could do whatever you wanted. There were no rules. Guys got up in the morning and, you know, they got drunk before 6 a.m. But the thing is, if you couldn't do your job, you were worthless. So people fell by the wayside. So... You know, you got to pick, and when you're in a place of forty thousand people, and you know something breaks, you want to be able to fix it. You can't do that on certain things, you know. Right. So cannabis was a great help to us in our in our lives and our business because the stress on the road is incredible. You know, it, it doesn't just end with rock and roll bands; it's with everybody who on the road. There's just a lot of things that happen out there.
1: It the is storm. well, yeah. It's rough. It kind of it seems glamorous, <laughs> but I mean, it's really is hard work. You're moving all the time, especially you guys you're the unsung heroes i mean you got there before the band gets there you're there long after the band leaves you're you got to do a lot of muscle and you, sometimes you got to be the bad guys right because you're not you know you, well, where's your past
2: are, we got to protect ourselves going down the road in those days the police were after us the union was fighting with us everywhere we went nobody respected the long hair you know tie-dye wearing Pot smoke and hippies, and but we were we weren't like that. We were really strong, determined people, and uh, because of the you know having Owsley with us and all these great people, it was like a renaissance thing where we studied sound, and and sound was so rudimental and fundamentally just not capable of doing what we did with these bigger shows. And at Altamont and at, at Woodstock, we realized learning about big pas was what we were interested in and so we started designing these systems that no one even dreamt of why because we took psychedelics and because our mind was not bound by the the rules of other people and so we were able to be creative and do things on the sound level that no one even tried and we set the standard of moving these huge systems around right so you know, the mother necessity is always the mother of invention you know and and so we rose to that occasion, but we also had to be tough. You bet, because there were people coming after us all the time. And, and people we- don't
1: realize that, you know. I, you know, you look because you were with the band for over fifty years, and and those days, those days in the late sixties when you joined, like late, you know. Now it's so accepted, you know, pot legal in California and a, a lot of other places. But it wasn't like that then. You, you're right. People would be like, what are you girls doing here? Like when you guys would walk in with your long hair, right? Oh, of course. You heard that all <laughs> the time. Then we had to fight them.
2: And then they'd know, you know, it's like a boy named Sue or something. <laughs> oh, because they would, the truck drivers were all, you know old time veterans of world war ii and they weren't putting up with that crap from us you know and so we proved ourselves time and time again but we also were very intelligent and you know the thing about that uh, i'm not trying to brag about it but it kept us on our toes more often than not i use my experiences with my dad who'd been a teamster his whole life and rose very high up with his own two hands. And so I used that experience to deal with the union guys. All of us were troublemaking juvenile delinquents, including Jerry. And we all had a lot of brushes with the law in our, in our early years of life. And so we knew how to deal with the police at all the shows, but it never came to the point where we we took it easy or light because they were on us all the time. And To smoke a joint in those days was 10 years in the penitentiary. That's so
1: crazy, isn't it? I mean, people say, why should, you know, I don't know, many people don't say this, but some people do, that why should we legalize pot? I'm like, just so that it's not, people aren't going to jail for it. I mean, how, how dumb is that? These people are just smoking a joint. Leave them be. I mean, they're not hurting anybody. Let go.
2: Well, the laws were draconian, and they were very different, and they were wrong. And they were wrong on every level. And we knew that. And so that was part of our crusade, let's put it that way, that we weren't going to let anything stop us. And we got arrested wherever we went. And we had to pay the price, you know. And we always had to, uh, the band was the greatest band. You talk about the crew, there would never have been the crew if it wasn't for Jerry and the Grateful Dead caring about us and knowing that we were out there other bands you know their guys would pick up guys they didn't keep them no one got paid like we did on a weekly basis it was it was things that the band did that created the crew and the band that i'm so proud of now because there's no other band like that oh, and so man. that's where our band came from uh was the as, you know we're named us the ass Bites from hell because we that's the way we joked about it you know but it was nice they gave us, you know, uh, the chance, and when they saw us, you know, getting out there playing music, they encouraged us and liked it. And then one day they came in and said, "Hey, you guys are good enough now. You could go off and be your own band." And we all looked at them and said, "No, we're not leaving you guys." You know, <laughs> and uh, because you so were a yeah,
1: songwriter, uh, right? When you st- you were you had you know you wrote songs and you're a musician yourself. How hard was that? Well, my
2: to- uncle uh, was a songwriter, Mitchell Parrish. He wrote "Star" the words the "Stardust" and uh star cell on alabama and stardust was jerry garcia's mother's favorite song so that bonded us right away when we started working together and when we started the garcia band it was because jerry just wanted to play in every club he could every night and i was the youngest guy and i said i'll go with you jerry and he said you would so we you know we'd take an amplifier and a guitar and we'd go to all the nightclubs and he'd sit in with people And I was his loyal dog on that. And so he loved it. And we became very close, you know, and, uh, in the grateful dead and in the Garcia band, we bonded over all the work that we did together. And, you know, when you have that trust with somebody as great as him and such a great, uh, person, it all rubs off on you. The the goodness of the world and learning about things as we traveled everywhere, we got to see the world together and, And that way, you know, when you have people of a high quality in their mind, you know, everybody in the Grateful Dead was able to appreciate what we were going through and the hard work that we put into it. Well, you guys have a
1: great, you two had a great bromance together.
2: I guess that's what they call it now. You know, in those days, you didn't use that term (laughs) at all, uh, you know, because we had, we lived in a rough world, you know, we had... We were very close with the Hells Angels because they adopted us after Altamont and wouldn't leave our side. And that became a good thing in a lot of ways. You know, it also was a burden in some other ways. It brought heat on us. But we were used to that from Owsley. We had the TDA always on our case, you know, and all those kind of people were following us around, the FBI writing reports about us. But we lived in that world and we were raised in that way. We all, like I say, were juvenile delinquents, everybody in the crew and banned and had brushes with the law their whole life.
1: Right. Well, so you were with- in Rikers as a kid, right? That's, I mean, how many mug shots are there of Steve Parrish?
2: There's a few, but, you know, you learn your lesson because you go, as we went around the country, uh, every state had, you know, different attitudes and different laws, and you had to learn how to deal with it. At the shows, you know, uh, police were always there. But we got along with them. And as the band became more famous and, and, and popular, the cooperation levels changed from being adversarial to wonderful friendships. You know, police would give us police escorts from the show. It was amazing, you know, to go from that to that. And How did that, it change?
1: How do you think what happened there? Was it just a change of sentiment or the change of the times?
2: Oh, my God, you're such a naive person. I didn't know. I mean, when a band becomes famous, oh. all fame goes <laughs> with it. All people change. Uh. All of a sudden, there's the Grateful Dead. Wow. Before that, it was like, who are these freaks, you know? And then all of a sudden, because there's an old saying in showbiz, it's first just like, Uh, I need, you know, I wish I had somebody that could really get me going there. Then you get somebody like the Grateful Dead, and they go there. And then you go, I want another Grateful Dead. You know, I want this. I want that. It always keeps changing, and you get bigger and bigger. You go from nightclubs, then you play theaters, then you play stadiums. Are you kidding me? You know, you stay in the best hotels. You go from all sleeping together on the floor of one ratty hotel, you know, to staying in the four seasons with your own suites that changes people over the years, you know, and it does.
1: Well, how, and, did that, how do you think it changed the band though? I mean, cause that, you know, I've of course followed the band and did for, had for so many years, but well, we all, but kept all that, each other in check. did As you guys keep check, each other grounded?
2: Yeah, of course. We never let anybody get a swell headed about anything because we knew each other too well. So we kept each other in check. If somebody was getting out of line and blowing up, they got told, Hey, you know, come on, man. What the fuck? You know, so that was the way that was. We kept each other in check, just like the, we were very close, the band and the crew. Right. We hung up together all the time. And yeah, that's anyway, that's
1: the good thing because not, we're,
2: we're getting too far
1: off the subject. We are. We're, we're supposed to be talking about, about festivals. I know. I knew this was going to happen and when
2: I started this with you. Mike.
1: And i got to keep well, Steve know, in line.
2: Skull so F- and Roses is coming up on yeah. April 3rd. You get to see the Ass Bites. The first time we're playing in over 40 years together. And what? Well, of course, everybody's dead. Ramrod, oh. Ramrod was the uh, rhythm guitar player. He's dead. Uh, you know, uh, Jackson was the bass player. He's dead. Uh, I played drums, and I was, uh, you know, I'm not dead. That's and, good.
1: Uh, Congratulations. Other guys are, uh, you know, from not- Wolf the Wolf Brothers. You're barring Bobby's band. Right. We're not okay. borrowing anybody. They oh. all
2: volunteered. Everybody wanted to be in there. Okay. But it's the Road Crew of the Dead and Company and the Wolf Brothers. And and uh, Don was is our bass player. Jay Lane is playing in there with us. And uh, I'm making my singing debut. Everybody's doing things to challenge themselves. And it's really fun and great. And we're having a wonderful time rehearsing it. We rehearse uh, every chance we get. The guys are on doing that right now on the road. I'm going to join them out there some rehearsals because that tour just comes right up against Skull and Roses. Now Skull and Roses is a great convention of all kinds of Grateful Dead bands, all the cover bands and wonderful people that we all know. Well, it's like a huge, um,
1: hippie convention, convention. Of, yeah,
2: of, of, uh, cover bands and people of all levels. Billy Kreutzman will be there of course with his band, the kids, Billy and the kids yep. and, uh, O-Teele. O-Teele, you know, and, uh, Melvin Seals and Cubensis and all Jerry's Middle Finger, uh, Alligator Band, all the bands that we know and, and, uh, have worked with for all our endeavors.
1: Right. So that's going to be fun because that's Friday. You guys are going to be playing that Steve's band. That's going to be good. It's the new, new ass bites from hell.
2: 830, uh, Friday night. Nice.
1: And you're going to do your show live on Thursday, right? At the kickoff yeah. party.
2: The radio show from there. And uh, we'll have some nice interviews with people there. And this is all hoping that everything goes well with that festival because there's a lot of pressure on everything right now in the world. And showbiz is going to be one of the things that people are going to have a hard time going to crowds. And I don't want to talk about it too much. you know, Because but... you don't want
1: to put like, bad energy toward it. Like, it's... No,
2: so <laughs> shut, that, shut that out. Festival Nation,
0: celebrating the magical world of music festivals.
1: Parish, longtime Grateful Dead roadie, host of the Big Steve Hour, and leader of the band Big Steve Parrish and the new new Ass Bites from Hell, who will be at the Skull and Roses Festival at Ventura County Fairgrounds April 2nd through the 5th. Coming up, you'll hear why Steve is not a big fan of passing around a joint. Because that
2: old Sharon thing was from when we were kids and we didn't have any money and we just had a little bit of weed. Now it's a lot more fun. Everybody can have their own. The tenacity
1: of the Grateful Dead.
2: You could never, ever put that together. It's like lightning in a bottle. It just happened. And, and then it lasted this long and carried on. And what it means to be a deadhead. Whether you call it a hippie or a deadhead or whatever the word is, or, or a person it's caring about other people comes out in there, you know. And that was what, we, was, what it was all about.
1: More after this.
2: Festival Nation, celebrating the magical world of music festivals.
1: I'm Marla Davies. Please welcome back Steve Parish, longtime Grateful Dead roadie, host of the Big Steve Hour, and leader of the band Big Steve Parish and the New New Ass Bites from Hell, who will be at the Skull and Roses Festival April 2nd through the 5th at the Ventura County Fairgrounds. We're talking about festivals and how people love to share things, but Steve's not a big fan.
2: People better learn to roll their own and keep them to themselves because that old sharing thing was from when we were kids and we didn't have any money and we just had a little bit of weed. Now it's a lot more fun. Everybody can have their own.
1: Really? That's funny you said that, because I still kind of like the sharing thing, and I think, gosh. Well, so know. many people do. They can't they all the time tell me that. Big Steve, why do you – I give people joints
2: all the time, because I say sharing them like that is ridiculous. What else do you do that with? You know, you got to think of your health now. You know, people uh, have colds this time of year, and, and they – it's a very personal thing when your saliva is all over the end of that joint, you know? I
1: know. <laughs>
2: I know. And it's don't know where that that's out, come from. In the
1: Grateful Dead at Party, we rolled enough till everybody had their own in their
2: hand. And that was when it was fun.
1: Everybody had their personal. Well, this might be a good time to pick up a pack of the Big Steve line of pre-rolls. Oh, totally.
2: <laughs> <It's> 100 <laughs> You're outlets throughout yeah. California, Grizzly Peak, uh, my partner's on it they are incredible they're growing strains that we kept alive through the dark days of prohibition and uh we because the best cannabis always came to us in the grateful Dad, man in the eight ashbury all the dealers brought us the best there was and on the road people from everywhere would come and bring us gifts and so we always saved in those days it was all seeded weed we saved that stuff we put people in the mountains all over california growing strains and we kept those alive and so people now get to taste them and they're very strong don't believe that stuff about the weed now is so strong it's not like that it always has been a great medicine and
1: uh well you just that- especially edibles you know because people don't sometimes know what they're getting into they, they don't realize that there's a time release factor there that you have to you know, give it a second before you, you know, eat a lot more. It's an experience, right? You have to you, you kind of learn how to handle it.
2: Yes, and it's and just knowledge. You know, people have had so much uh, misinformation about cannabis for years and years and years, since 1937, when the government made the illegal and secretive Marijuana Tax Act. Uh, it was done for different reasons, and part of it was just uh, wrong wrong on every level and uh it was a bad pr
1: campaign for sure
2: well it was henry anslinger trying to replace alcohol with something else for his boys to go after and they picked that and uh they concentrate on it and and of course you know everybody knows the story that hearst newspapers lied about it and the same reasons that people have problems today they're so afraid of it because they don't know about it they never allowed uh, any When Nixon made it a Schedule I narcotic, that stopped all marijuana testing and all the beautiful things we now are learning about it. We knew before because it's been in history forever. The British knew about it in, in India when they were at the Raj there. Read O'Shaughnessy's papers on it, he followed Ayurvedic doctors and saw the amazing things that it did for people in India back in 1888. So they knew even before that, he, when we went to Egypt with the Grateful Dead, I, Jerry and I and Kesey were at the Cairo Museum, and there was the stuff that King Tut was buried with, his daily stuff, and it was a huge basket of cannabis seeds, man. That's and cool. we And Mark, I said, what do you mean? They couldn't go anywhere. They couldn't go in the afterlife without their cannabis. <laughs> That's the way it is, man. It's a necessary you thing got of it. life. <laughs> yeah, got- Our ancestors made all their clothes from it.
1: Right. Uh, well, my dad, when I was a kid, he used to always say, go get me the, you know, the hemp. He'd always, you know, hemp, this yeah, and course. that. Before, you know, old school, this and that. Because those old school boys knew all the stuff. I mean, during World War II,
2: you know, your your son, your firstborn son did not have to join the Army if you put 50 acres of cannabis, of hemp in, because they needed it for the war effort. It was the only thing that was all parachute ridging was made of the uh, laces in your combat boots all the way up to this present day. There's nothing stronger in a yarn or a, a thread for, for stitching
1: clothes than hemp. Well, there's there a, was, wasn't there a little bit of a conspiracy with the cotton farmers and that industry? You got it, of course. Okay. There was, there, cotton you go. And there was nylon, nylon
2: rope. Oh yes. I to replace hemp rope with, and it didn't last. It, it busted. And so that's why, you know, uh, it was always a necessary thing to any Navy, Going back to history, because all sales. Canvas is right. cannabis. Canvas right. Is- That's right. I love Everything it. The history. history. So when they, you know, when we used to go to Washington, I would always go to the archives and say, now, what are these, the paper that the, the Constitution, the paper that the Declaration of Independence are printed on are hemp paper. And so they would never, they would squirrel out. They'd go, oh, they're just fiber, different fibers. i go, come on, you know the truth. And then I would say, why don't you guys talk about that? And they go, Because we don't want to confuse the children. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was their rap.
1: You've been with the dead since Woodstock. You went to Altamont and it's lasted for all those years. It's still lasting. It's skull and roses and this and that. It just why do you think it's so powerful? Because it's
2: the people, it touches the people's heart and soul in a way that uh, no other band seems to have done it. You know, back when the origin of the band starting the hate All the other bands were going for long uh, contracts with record companies and doing TV appearances on all the shows. Uh, Our reputation was for these uh, psychedelic parties and wild time at the show. And so it seemed like everybody was going to pass by and leave us there in San Francisco sitting there with these shows. But what turned out to be a party that never stopped and it brought a sociological phenomenon of the Grateful Dead onward into generations now. And everybody always in history, there's always a time, you know, Paris in the twenties, uh, other civilizations in the past too numerous to name. There's always been in times of enlightenment that happened and the hate Ashbury was like that. And that somehow got encapsulated into the Grateful Dead's world and it brought that party out to people and, it was a place of freedom, and it represented the highest point, maybe, of freedom that we're ever going to reach in this country or anywhere, for a band to represent that to people. And we all were inspired by it and rose to the occasion, you know, and you could never, ever put that together. It's like lightning in a bottle. It just happened. And, and then it lasted this long and carried on, uh, which is a beautiful thing.
1: Can you still enjoy it, even as you know when you were working? You know, you know it was a long day for you. Could you still enjoy oh the God. scene, the show, the whole bit? You always
2: enjoyed it. You always enjoyed it because you're doing something special and uh, bringing music to people. Also, let alone the rewards you get in life and the perks of becoming a successful band. It's very rare for any bands to make it. It's like one percent or two percent of all the millions of bands out there that make any money, even. Usually it's a bow of poverty to be a musician. All the other bands that we started out with are pretty much at a hard time in life. You know, the Grateful Dead managed to survive because of hard, hard work, man, and diligence and great songs and really great craftsmanship on every level. But uh, Quality and
1: good fans, yeah. too. Good fans, Steve. Do you, the fans do you, are the whole thing, of course. The fans are what it was all about. That's why we did it. What about, do you think you're a deadhead? Would you consider, would you say, yes, I'm a deadhead?
2: Of course. course. That's how everybody starts their attraction to this thing. And uh, when I was just cleaning out my barn, I found this old mail sack. And back in 19, I think it was 71 or two, we lived in Stinson Beach. And uh, the band put out on the back of an album, Contact Big Steve. It was the first Deadheads Unite the first fan club. And I looked at, I opened this box, this bag up and all these beautiful letters from the fans with all the envelopes decorated with their own handicrafts and beautiful paintings on them and embroidery on some of them. and incredible letters, you know? And so I just realized, I said, of course, that's what everybody starts as that dead thing. You know, it takes you over, it pixelates you or whatever it gets into you and you then want to do better. For people, it's you a do. sociological phenomenon.
1: It, it does. not You feel like you know it makes you want to be a better person. It always makes me feel that way, you know. Me too
2: me too. Putting so the good vibes out it, there. Whether you call it a hippie or a deadhead or whatever the word is, or or a person, it's caring about other people comes out in there, you know. And that was what was what was all about the people.
1: There you go. Well, thank you. I know you're you're busy. I you know it's funny. I used to get my passes from John Goddard at Village Music in Mill Valley. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah, And God. It, so many. I'm sure I ran into you backstage because I used to get the pass, and I'd have to go and find Kid, and then okay, yeah, then okay. Kid would give. It would, I always have to find it. Was really always complicated, and I'd find him, and then he'd give me a couple passes for my friends, and then I'd have to you know take the pass back to John the next day, and I had a lot of good times back there. Yeah,
2: that's a lot of fun. All that's gone now. You know, they don't even have uh, that kind of scenes backstage at these shows. So that party is gone of being openness and meeting people. And I'm sure you and I have met each other. You know, I don't doubt that at all. Now you tell me that. So
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was always fun. I was like, "Where's kid? Where's kid?" And I'd have to track him down. And you know, busy right? you guys were. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of uh, fun, dude. Fun. Thank you. And I look forward fun. to seeing you at Skull and Roses. We're going to be th- doing oh, the Festcast. So I'll definitely oh, track good. you down and say howdy oh, good. And, and all that. Oh,
2: good. I look forward to that. All dude. right. Thank so it's a much. pleasure, man.
1: Always oh, it really is. Thank you so much. I'm a fan. Nice talking to you. Really nice talking to you. Okay. okay. Bye, Steve. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. Festival Nation. Celebrating the magical world of music festivals. <laughs>
1: Longtime Grateful Dead roadie, host of the Big Steve Hour, and leader of the band Big Steve Parish and the New New Ask Bites from Hell, for joining us on Festival Nation, where we celebrate the magical world of music festivals. And thanks for listening to Festival Nation here on the Pantheon Podcast Network and our special mini series on Skull and Roses, the multi-day festival celebrating the music and the community of the Grateful Dead. Skull & Roses returns April 2nd to the 5th for its 4th anniversary at the legendary Ventura County Fairgrounds on the Central California coast. In upcoming episodes, we're going to feature behind-the-scenes interviews with artists performing at Skull & Roses, including bass guitarist and founding member of Dead & Company, Oteal Burbridge, Melvin Seals from JGB, and rock photographer Jay Blakesburg. And during the festival, we'll be on site live with our FestCast, bringing you all the news from backstage with plenty of special guests. This year's lineup features Grateful Dead drummer Billy Kreutzman and his band, Billy and the Kids, Oteil and Friends, Voodoo Dead, Melvin Seals and JGB, Jackie Green, Keller Williams' Grateful Grass, Circles Around the Sun, Ghost Light, Grateful Shred, David Nelson Band, and tons more. Get your tickets at SkullandRoses.com. And stay tuned to Festival Nation for your chance to win your passes to Skull and Roses, which has become a mecca for deadheads young and old. To win, email me at festivalnationpodcast at gmail.com or follow Festival Nation on Twitter at Nation Festival and Facebook and Instagram at Festival Nation Podcast. And tell us why you love the Festival Nation Podcast and what bands you're most looking forward to seeing at Skull and Roses. We'll find you and you'll be entered to win. Any music used in this Festival Nation podcast is owned by the artists and is used for educational and illustration purposes only. Thanks for checking out, liking, sharing, and following Festival Nation on the Pantheon Podcast Network and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Talk to you next time. Peace. Peace, love,
0: and music. Thanks for being part of the tribe. For Marla Davies and everyone here at Festival Nation, until next time, Tune in. Turn on. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.